Hello, crime stories, and welcome back to another episode of a crime story podcast. I'm your host, Kaylin Lois, and I am originally from the United States, but I moved to France almost two years ago now to be with my French boyfriend and to study international law, both Anglophone and Francophone. When I moved here to France, I started hearing all of these crazy crime stories that I never heard of in America, and I created a crime story podcast to tell you all about these international cases that interest me. Our crime story today might not even be a crime, which makes it different than any other case besides the lost Russian Kwasnoyarsk boys that I covered. Conspiracy theories galore resonate with this case, and technically the case categorizes as an unexplained death. I really don't remember when I first came across this case, but it always has intrigued me because it seems that there's just so much evidence but absolutely zero answers. Episode 18 covers the disappearance and subsequent deaths of two Dutch girls, Lisen Froon and Chris Krimmers, who both died while touring in Panama in 2014. This is their crime story. Before we start here, we need to cover some different legal aspects. The judicial system in Panama, Dutch and Panama relations, as well as what happens when a foreign national goes missing abroad. We will start with the latter. Most embassies around the world have an emergency number that should be called if a foreign national goes missing, is dead, arrested, and or kidnapped abroad. As an American living abroad in France, I have the American embassy here in France on speed dial if, God forbid, any of those emergencies were to happen to me. I can call them or my friends and family here in France or back home can call the embassy to report the incident. Essentially, my hypothetical situation or another foreign national situation in a foreign country becomes subject to international law. Now, without going into the complex theoretical aspects of international law, just know that if something happens to you overseas, you should immediately call your embassy in that country. In this case, in 2014, two Dutch girls disappeared while in Panama. Specifically, in this type of situation, one should contact the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs or the Dutch Embassy in Panama, and the person reporting should give as many details about the person or the person's missing, such as travel plans and as much as the situation that they can. While the Netherlands has no investigative authority in the country of travel, they can provide aid such as communication with the family and the police, monetary cost of the search, contact with the media, and victim support. Now, we have seen in previous cases of this podcast, when a crime takes place abroad, the foreign nationals federal government can aid and investigate, but only at the discretion and permission of the country that the crime or circumstance occurred. So, for example, if I go missing here in France, the American FBI can offer aid to the French authorities in the investigation, but only if the French authorities allow this to occur. As you can see, this can get really tricky here with politics and foreign relations, and even if the two countries are just getting along at the time of the incident. 
As far as relationships between Dutch and Panama, the two countries have a close, at least geographically, relationship because the Netherlands holds three islands near Panama and the Caribbean, those being Aruba, Caracal, and St. Martin. In 2013, the Netherlands opened a Dutch embassy in Panama to further bond the two nations' relations, and in the last decade, Dutch interests have increased financial investments in Panama. The Republic of Panama is a transcontinental country located in Central America with the Caribbean Sea to the north, the Pacific Ocean to the south, and Costa Rica to the east, and Colombia to the west. Panama is most famous for, you guessed it, the Panama Canal. In fact, the Panama Canal generates one-third of Panama's entire economy. With an estimated population of just over 4 million, Panama is one of the smallest populations in Central America. Panama runs on the civil law system with Spanish traditions in a centralized Republican, Democratic, and Representative government composed by a president and two vice presidents, which I find quite interesting. Without further ado, let's just hop in to today's crime story. Now, first and foremost, I want to note that this case has a bunch of sources in Dutch, Spanish, and English, which made it somewhat difficult for me to just sort through in order to gather information for this episode. But I did find this one amazing blog by a Dutch blogger, Kud Kaas, who did extensive research on this case in the Netherlands and wrote all about it in English. So most of the following information comes from that blog in addition to traditional news sources. In 2014, 22-year-old Lizan Froon and her university roommate and friend, 21-year-old Chris Kremers, had worked at the same restaurant together and hailed from the same hometown of Amsfoort, Netherlands. Friends described Chris as being an open personality. She loved spoken word and going to museums, and she had recently graduated with a degree in cultural social education, specializing in art education, and planned to further her studies in art history at a university in Amsfoort. Amsterdam. Now, for Liz and Froon, her friends described her as shy but optimistic, intelligent, smart, as well as a very great volleyball player, and she was just overall very athletic. She had just graduated with a degree in applied sciences, and it seems to me that Chris was uh, more the artsy one out of the two, and Lizanne was more the sciencey type. Chris was extroverted and Lizanne was more introverted, but both were described to be very responsible girls. The two roommates shared a love for traveling and planned a special trip together. Beyond justification, the two planned to learn another language, Spanish, and use their skills to volunteer with locals, especially children. Somehow the two girls decided that Panama would be the perfect place to do just that, and they both saved money for six months to have a spectacular six-week trip in Panama. On March 15, 2014, the two girls boarded a plane from Amsterdam bound to Bocos del Toro, Panama. During the two weeks in Bocos del Toro, the girls had a great time. They learned Spanish in classes and met two young Dutch traveler men while there, and they spent a great deal of time with them. On March 28th, Chris and Lizanne traveled to Boquet, Panama, where they planned to volunteer at a Dutch-Spanish language school, 
But this is where their perfect vacation trip hit a setback. The woman who ran the school told them that they could not work there that week. The school had no place for them and told the girls to come back a week later. The girls were understandably very upset by this piece of news and Lizanne even texted her mom, quote, we have been sent away. I am very disappointed. Luckily, they were able to arrange a homestay with some locals for the remainder of their stay in Panama that was not far from the language school. The girls told their host family through their broken Spanish that they didn't know what to do with their week off in Panama. That weekend and Monday, they explored the surrounding area and decided on Tuesday, April 1st, 2014, that they would hike the Piensta Trail, a beautiful 8-kilometer trail that passes jungles and waterfalls near Boquette. The girls posted on Facebook their plans to hike around Boquette. Both wore light clothing for their hike, just shorts and tops, and they did not bring much else with them other than a light backpack, one passport, some money, their mobile phones, a separate digital camera, a water bottle, and most likely some food or snacks. No wrappers or anything but small sweets were ever found, and Lizanne's brother later stated that he didn't think that they would have brought any food at all for their planned short hike. From here, the story gets confusing and unmatching stories emerge, making the timeline just a mess, so stick with me. Note that both of the girls had cell phones as well as a digital camera that would take a timestamp when a photo was taken. A taxi driver declared that he dropped them off in the afternoon at 1.40 p.m., but the clock on their digital camera suggests that they started around 11 o'clock in the morning on their hike at a restaurant called Il Pinceta Restaurant. The owners and locals at the restaurant warned the girls not to do the hike on their own, but, but the young being young, they waved off their worries. It's not very clear from reports, but the girls may have actually taken this advice because the owner's dog, Azul, decided to join them for their hike. When Azul returned back to the restaurant later that night, the girls were not with the dog. The next day, Lizanne and Chris had arranged to meet up with a local guide for a walking tour, but they failed to show up. On the afternoon of April 2nd, a staff member at the language school contacted the authorities and the girls' families back in the Netherlands on the fact that they had simply not been seen for about 24 hours. On April 2nd, authorities conducted an aerial search of the forest and a foot search with the help of local residents. When Chris and Lizanne's parents had not heard anything by April 6th, one of the girls' parents boarded a plane along with some detectives from the Netherlands bound to Panama. Together, police and dog units and Dutch detectives searched the forest for 10 solid days. Chris and Lizanne's parents offered a ward of 30,000 US dollars, but even this did not bring any new information for almost two and a half months. Ten weeks later, a local woman found Lizanne's blue backpack in a rice paddy stuck between a rock and the river. She found the backpack eight kilometers away from where the girls were last seen. And the interesting thing about the backpack is that it is a simple, non-waterproof backpack made from like a cheap fabric and under normal circumstances it would have gotten wet but she found the backpack to be dry the local woman believes that she didn't see the backpack in the same location the previous day but she couldn't swear to it when the backpack was opened authorities found two pairs of sunglasses 
uh, $83 in United States cash, but some sources say that it was only $37. Lizanne's passport, a water bottle, Lizanne's camera, two bras, and the woman's photos. All packed, dry, and in good condition. Even more interesting, authorities found 34 different fingerprints on the backpack and its contents. Investigators determined that two of the fingerprints came from unknown women and one DNA sample contained genetic material of two unknown persons, one of which was a male. Phone records show that some hours after the start of their hike, someone dialed 112, which is the international emergency number. So that's the emergency number here in France and most of Europe, as well as 911, which is the emergency number in Panama and the United States. None of the calls went through due to poor reception. Chris had an iPhone 4 and Lizanne had a Galaxy Samsung S3 that were found that were both found in the backpack. On April 1st at 4:39 p.m., Chris's phone made a call to 112. At 4:51 p.m., Lizanne's phone made a call to 112. The next day, Lizanne's phone made a call to 112 at 6.58 a.m. and to 112 and 911 at 10.53 a.m. And at 1.56 p.m., Chris's phone made a call to 112 at 6.41 p.m. that day. The next day, on April 3rd, the last attempt to contact 911 was made on Chris's phone at 9.33 a.m. Last operated on April 5th at 5.56 a.m., Lizanne's phone managed to make a connection with 112 for one to two seconds. The connection broke off and the phone was switched off as it turned off or was deactivated. Unclear as to why the call disconnected, perhaps due to poor connection or perhaps to it being broken off. So therefore, Lizanne's Samsung Galaxy battery had died or was no longer in use. Then suddenly, there was multiple attempts to activate Chris's iPhone. However, the wrong PIN code was entered on the afternoon of April 5th several times. The phone first needed to be unlocked with a special code, which was 0556 for the iPhone, and then the correct PIN code needed to be entered, and this did not happen on April 5th at 1337 p.m. From that time onward, Chris's iPhone was switched on and off, either without entering the PIN code or with the wrong PIN code. Chris's phone for the next four days made signal checks before it was switched off entirely at 1.05 a.m. on April 11th. Now, remember authorities found a digital camera in the backpack and, <laughs> wow, the data here provided a treasure trove of information. Obviously, from this podcast, I cannot show you the pictures, but investigators found 133 photos from the time the girls had left the Netherlands. If you look at the podcast YouTube page, you can see the photos or look at the link posted in the episode notes where the blog I mentioned earlier does a great analysis over each and every photo. But I will try my hardest (laughs) to explain the camera data, the metadata, and the photos as best as I can. Now, Lizanne's camera was a Canon SX270HS digital camera, which had a far better battery life than either of the girls' cell phones. Note, the camera did not have a GPS tag when it took 
the photo, but it did stamp the time. The first photo showed the girls in good spirits on April 1st, confirming that the women had taken the trail and watered into some wilderness, hours before their first attempt to reach 911, but there are no signs of anything unusual. Photos show the girls smiling at the lookout on the trail and they look happy along the trail. The photos have a timestamp of 1 p.m. while some witnesses stated that the girls left to the trail at 2 p.m., meaning that they could not have hit the lookout point by 1 p.m. as the camera states. After the lookout point, most hikers just turn around and return back to Boquet, making it a 8-kilometer round-trip journey. But Lizanne and Chris continued on the trail in the opposite direction of the town. The last quote-unquote normal photo of the girls was taken on April 1st with a 1.54 p.m. timestamp, but authorities believe that this photo was taken closer to 7 p.m. Obviously, there seems to be some sort of inconsistencies with the timestamp, that the date was correct, but the times were wrong, that maybe there was perhaps like a six-hour time difference from the timestamp to the actual time, but just keep that in mind as I continue. Now, after the last normal photo was taken, the photos eventually just become like random shots taken in the dark with no apparent motive. One showed a twig with plastic bags and candy wrappers on top of a rock. Another shows what looks like toilet paper in a mirror on another rock. Another shows the back of Chris's head. The last photo timestamp was on April 8th at 10.59 p.m. A strange detail notes that a missing photo from the roll which conveniently bridges the gap between the last daytime photo and the first and the first nighttime photo. The camera skips from photo 508 to 510 and nobody knows why. It could be some kind of camera malfunction, but the camera accidentally skipping a number when shooting a picture seems like a bit far-fetched because technology doesn't normally do that. The other explanation means that it was deleted for whatever reason. Attempts to recover the missing photo have been unsuccessful, suggesting that there was some sort of human manipulation to this. The families have only released a few of the nighttime photos and they are creepy. The families as well as investigators state that their mating nighttime photos show mostly nothing or nothing but darkness. The photo that interests me the most shows the back of Chris's head. I think Lizanne took the photo to assess if Chris had a head wound of sorts. The camera's flash should provide light for Lizanne to see and Chris, and Chris had red hair and some people say that they see blood among her hair but personally I do not. You'll have to look for yourself. But this photo suggests a potential injury. There exists several analysis of photos and I absolutely encourage you to look at the photos yourself and draw your own conclusion. After finding the backpack, the police searched the area and a few kilometers away found Chris's denim shorts zipped and neatly folded atop of a rock by the river. Suspicious, eh? But later on, witnesses disputed and claimed that the shorts were not neatly folded, but actually found in the river. A short time later, authorities found 33 bone fragments and two pairs of shoes along the river. One of the boots had remains of the foot still in it. DNA testing confirmed that the bones belonged to the two girls and the shoe had Lizanne's foot in it was found under a tree, which is super odd. 
Forensics stated that the cut of the bone of the foot was surprisingly clean and found no blood on it, but the foot was inflamed, most likely due to overuse. Probably Lizanne just walking and walking and walking for days. The medical examiner found no signs of cutting, hacking, gunshots, or teeth or claw marks on this foot. Not even when looking for such underneath a microscope. 28 of the 33 bone fragments were found were Lizanne's. The boot was found the most upstream from all the other bones. These fragments consist of only a couple of bones and most of their skeletal bodies remain missing. It only takes one bone from a body to show a clear impact and violence to change an entire story. And with a bunch of the girl's bones missing, we just aren't getting a full picture. One of the more creepy facts that indicate foul play is that Chris's bones appeared to be bleached. Due to the incomplete skeletons, an exact cause and manner of death could not be determined. So, what happened? to Chris and Lizanne. Now, let's discuss some of the theories. The first and most obvious points that the girls simply got lost while hiking. The trail goes through a cloud forest, which experts state that one could easily lose their bearings. But most of the photos at the lookout point appear to show a clear day on April 1st, 2014. It's certainly possible and likely probable that the girls did not turn around after warned not to continue on past the lookout without a guide. When they did this, they just realized that they were way in over their heads. This could explain the constant calls to 112 and to 911. It also provides a rationale reason as to why many of the photos just showed the night. They used the flash to guide them in the pitch black forest. As explained before, Chris may have suffered from a head wound, and false pin entries on Chris's phone could have been Lizanne trying to connect to authorities after Chris died or was no longer able to continue walking. They could not find their way through their situation and eventually died of starvation and or other elements. This theory seems highly circumstantial and relies on drawing several conclusions. I already pointed several problems that I've had with this theory, the main one being that missing photo. I have a hard time believing that the camera would just skip a picture number and there would be no reason for either one of the girls to erase a picture, especially given the previous theory points that they were just trying to conserve battery life of the camera and their phones. The dog made it back to the town on April 1st, so why did the girls simply just not follow the dog, Azul? Questions emerge on how the bones and belongings were found. The lady who found the backpack wasn't sure that if the backpack was there the day before, but finding the backpack suggests that the girls were somewhat close to civilization and they could have seen lights at night. I understand that the jungle was probably very thick, but they couldn't have been that far off. The fact that they only found a few bone fragments and not a full skeleton is rare. I also think that the evidence of animal scavenging would be present, but evidence shows the opposite. How did Liz Ann's foot end up under a tree? It's not possible 
for an animal to do that. The second theory poised an injury by fall, which could mean both of them fell or just one, which I would say would probably have been Chris. This explains how they lost their bearings so much that logic wasn't possible. There was no evidence of a shelter being made, no evidence of trying to start a fire, which I think I would do if I were lost to try to survive as long as possible. If they had head injuries, this would explain why more survival skills were not evidenced. Another theory exists of an attack by an animal could have led to their disappearance. Doing just a primary search on Google about animals in the Panama jungle, it appears that there isn't an animal that would stalk them for days. But I am certainly not an animal behaviorist expert. The camera flashes could have been to scare an animal off in the dark. But at the very least, animals likely had something to do with the scattering of the remains. But either they could have attributed to the death is still unknown, as there are many details that still leave more questions than answers. The final theory, and certainly the most scary and perhaps the least probable, is foul play by another tourist and or a human sacrifice by indigenous groups. Being the murderino I am, I could never rule out foul play, and I do think there is at least some circumstantial evidence to suggest that in this case. The main being the missing photo from the camera roll. Webb Sluice and criminologists alike have spent countless hours poring over the camera roll, thinking that Lizanne and Chris were leaving clues for investigators. Some even say that they see other people in the photos besides Chris and Lizanne, which personally I do not, but again, I encourage you to go look for yourself. Other evidence that points to this theory would be the false pen entries and other random photos. The Dutchman that Lizanne and Chris vacationed with in their first two weeks in Panama were questioned, but their whereabouts placed them nowhere near Lizanne and Chris on the trail. An unconfirmed report says that someone saw the girls having brunch with two young Dutchmen before embarking on the trail. Could those men or someone else who happened upon them on the trail could have followed them and forced them deep into the woods? This murder theory definitely explains the unidentified fingerprints, bleached bones, and the backpack not by the girl's side, but why would a murderer A let Lizanne and Chris take photos then only delete one, and then B let them make so many emergency calls? The theory of the indigenous people's sacrifice seems a bit far-fetched to me, and possibly there's racist bias towards this line of thinking. But people say that several indigenous tribes are known to exist in that region. Other murders have been reported in the area, and some have pointed out some suspicious-looking details on some of the photos in Lizanne's camera. What do you think happened to Lizanne Froon and Chris Kramers on their trip to Panama? Do you think foul play was involved or was it simply an accident? I would love to hear your thoughts. You can comment on a crime story Instagram at a crime story pod where I will be posting images from today's story. You can even comment on a crime story podcast on Facebook or a crime story pod on Twitter or even comment and see additional photos on a crime story podcast on YouTube. I am also on TikTok under the name A Crime Story Podcast. My website is a crimestorypodcast.com where you can listen to the podcast as well as read a transcript of today's story under the blog tab. 
I have recently included a map of the different cases covered on this podcast on the website under the episode slash case guide tab, so be sure to check it out. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, it helps others find the show. If you could tell a friend or a hundred friends about a crime story podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. I hope to see you next time on November 18th, where I will be covering a case from Brazil. You won't want to miss it. This completes the 18th episode of A Crime Story. A Crime Story is hosted, created, written, and edited by me, Kaylin Lois. Sources for today's episode can be found on my website, acrimestorypodcast.com. The artwork for the show is created by Sabrina Smith, and theme music is created by Ross Budgen. Additional story editing is brought to you by my father, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to A Crime Story, and remember to stay safe at home and abroad. Thank you.